put on the full or whole armor of God. This phrase is used twice in this passage, so I'm going to talk about it here up front. And I think it's fairly obvious in your English Bibles that the emphasis is on full or complete or on whole armor. You're not just picking up a couple pieces of it, but putting it all on. But in Greek, it's actually even more so. It's one word, panoplia. It is from two words. It's a compound Greek word. From pas, meaning each or every or collectively, and hoplon. How many of you have ever heard of a hoplite? Nobody's heard of a hoplite? Oh, all right. We've got a reader here, a historian maybe. A hoplite, if you've ever seen the movie 300, or for you older people, the 300 Spartans, I think, was your day and age. There's a movie also that came out, I think, in 2003 or 4 called Troy. It's the stereotypical Greek um, soldier. You picture kind of a bronze face shield. They've got the, the chiseled armor piece of, of chest. They've got a little um, metal skirt thing, and below that's another little red skirt. Sometimes they have little bronze on their shins. They have a spear in the hand and a round shield. They got a big red tuft on top of their helmet. You can picture them now. That's a hoplite. This is the, the most fearsome Greek warriors of the day. In fact, they think very easily that a thousand hoplites would have destroyed the Roman legionaries that came 400, 500 years later. They were trained as from children to be warriors. Five years old, they would take them away. They would not see a woman again until they were after they were done being trained. This is a hoplite. Take each and every collective piece that a hoplite would take into battle, and that is what you are to equip yourself with for the battle that's ahead. We're not talking about just these little faint warriors and picking up some pieces of armor that we have no clue what they're doing. This is a serious piece of equipment that soldiers are using in battle. I wonder, church, how many times have you gone into battle half-clad? Pardon the imagery, but you wouldn't work with hot asphalt, asphalt without shoes and pants, would you? I dare say you probably wouldn't limb trees without gloves and perhaps professionally a helmet. You probably wouldn't show up to any of your jobs without a shirt on, would you? There's a reason for that. We don't want to see it. Well, more than that. Okay. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Why in heaven would we show up to battle with only one or two pieces of armor? Say, oh, well, I'm saved. That's salvation. Check. Got my helmet on. Well, I'm trying to sin less. You know, I get partial credit on righteousness, right? I had listened to a message last week. I got a little bit of truth. Got my belt partially on. I read the Bible a few months ago. Partial credit on the sword of the Spirit, right? Four out of six ain't bad. I got a, I got a D, Pastor. That's a passing grade. See, the problem is, if your battle preparations consist of trying to be more prepared than everyone else, than half of everyone being ahead of that grading curve, then you probably will already die in battle. It's not going to work. 
You know, sometimes in warfare, there are no survivors. This isn't a, oh, well, I just need to outrun that kind of guy situation. The bear isn't just, you know, going to grab the slowest person and have a snack. As I said before, he's not just a hungry bear. He's a dragon who's looking to destroy every soul of every man, woman, boy, and girl without any concern for laying waste to everyone and everything around him. Beloved, put on the whole armor of God. See, the full armor is one word in Greek. Are you getting it? You've either put it on or you haven't. There's no in-between. I know you haven't, we haven't talked about each um, piece of the armor yet, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you can connect the dots with the point I'm trying to make here. If you leave your sword at home, you have nothing to attack with. If you leave your helmet at church, your head's going to be exposed. If you don't pick up your shield of faith because you left it at work or at church or at home group, small group, at prayer meeting, how are you going to block the attacks of the enemy? Put on the full armor of God. See, we know each and every piece is important, but I think we don't prioritize taking up each piece and spending the time to dress ourselves and put them on each and every morning, do we? It's at this point in time, I'd like to remind us from last week that the battle is ongoing. It's daily, and it's not going to end until Jesus comes and ends it. If we could just put our imagination caps on for a few minutes, I was going to make one, but I figured that was too much work. I wanted you to have a symbolic putting our imagination cap on, so whatever you think a silly hat and thinking cap would be, that's gonna, you just put that on my head right now. Make it good looking in your mind. Where does fear come from? Does it come from God? Does it come from God's Word? Does it come from the devil, the enemy? I just want to go down this rabbit hole a bit more. Something totally non-controversial. Let's say, for instance, COVID-19. <laughs> Thoughts of death, disease, serious illness, where do they come from? Are those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus? Now, what happens if we take up our shield of faith? Now, understand me, I'm not trying to deny COVID. It's real, it's affected a lot of people, okay? Denying its existence is not the same thing as having faith, as some televangelists would have you believe. Say, oh, just ignore it. Okay, that's not what faith is, okay? Some teach that if you get a vaccine or if you wear a mask, it's actually going to make you catch the virus because you put your faith in man's word above God Almighty's. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But now that I've dropped that bomb of confusion and muddy the waters, let's move on. No. See, the thing is, it is entirely true, I believe, that fear is often birthed out of a lack of faith. That's the truth. Where there is a lack of faith, you give way for the enemy to attack with his fiery darts and put those thoughts of fear 
in your mind. In other words, when we listen to the enemy, his words of failure, of death, hurt, pain, brokenness, when you actually give credence to those and ponder them, rather than taking them captive to the obedience of Christ, you're, you're actually partnering with the devil in allowing his fiery lies to give birth into your mind. You're actually, if I can really say it, putting the devil's words above God's. Now, on the flip side, just because you wear a mask does not mean that you've completely given in to fear. I want to address that. Okay? There have been times that I've been asked to wear one. I don't particularly want to, and I don't believe it's me doing it in a spirit of fear. But there absolutely are people in this church that are totally gripped by fear from COVID-19 particularly. And I'm going to address it. You say, wait a second, someone, there's a chance someone might listen to this message online and, and hear what you have to say and be offended. Well, I'm, my goal is not to offend anybody. I want you to know that. But I am going to speak boldly this morning. And the truth is, if you are yet to come to church, when in reality, most of us at some point have been to Kroger, Food Lion, Walmart, or what have you, and you have yet to come to church in the last year and a half, you have listened to one or two lies from the devourer. Take up your shield of faith. Extinguish those lies. I just wonder if we're really taking up that shield of faith. You know, when we're getting low on food, we're not to worry. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough worry of its own. That doesn't mean that we're on the flip side not to make preparations for wintertime, right? Like it's, that it's wrong to do some canning, to collect some things, to put some dry goods on your shelf. None of that's evil. He says, don't worry about starving. Don't worry about your bank account running so low that you aren't going to have money to pay for the food. He said, if, you got all, if that's all that you got, I'm going to provide for you. Put your trust in me. And see, what happens is we begin to, to give a little bit of thought to this, oh, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to starve. Or I'm going to get sick. Or I really don't want to do this, I might die. And that, that worry turns into anxiety. And that anxiety gives way to fear. And that fear is partnering with the devil and putting his lies above the word of God. Some of us need to speak out the truth of ourselves. Some of us need to speak out the truth of our household. I will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. This is Psalm 91. Of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, no evil will befall me. We need to speak this out of our children, nor will any plague come near my tent. It's time that we take up the shield of faith. What's really been grieving toward me over the last year and a half is the church's reaction to COVID-19. I know that there was a lot of um, un uncertainty. It was new to the church in the Western world. It was new to a lot of people trying to figure out, do we honor the word of our president? Do we honor the word of our governors? And what happened was that God's promises essentially got tucked neatly under the carpet. We swept it under the rug and said, well... 
I like it, it's good, I believe it, but... Church, we need to take up our shield of faith. Great, now I'm all riled up. How am I going to preach? Oh, church, if you don't take up your shield of faith, if you don't put on that full armor of God, how are you going to extinguish the lies of the enemy? What happens next time when there's a next pandemic? What happens the next time there's a Y2K? What happens the next time there's a 2008 housing crash? What happens the next time you get fired or lose your job? What happens the next time? Where do we draw the line and we say, no matter what the enemy throws at me, no matter what the mainstream media says, no matter what my friends say on Facebook, I'm going to put God's word above it all. No disease will come near my tent. I am not to worry about tomorrow, for he has provided for me. Keep your imagination hats on. Imagine you're in that church potluck. Woo! Some of you can smell it. You got really good imagination hats. What are you going to do when you come up to that deviled egg? That deviled food cake or deviled ham. <laughs> Joking aside, how would you have fared in the desert like Jesus? You've been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and someone comes up to you and says, there's bread for you. Yeah, he, he, I know he tempted him with turning it into bread, but the point was, Jesus, you're a little hungry. Why don't you have a little bite? How about this? Jesus, I'll give all of this to you, everything you could see, all these kingdoms. How would you fare when Satan put you to the test? Would you know enough scripture in the spirit man to combat and cut down the misuse of scripture that Satan used against Jesus? Do you know, think about the boldness of the devil here. The author of scripture standing before you in flesh Satan knew good and well who he was. And he's trying to quote Scripture at him. You better believe he's going to do the same thing to us that don't even know the Scriptures. Let's get more practical. How would you fare if you visited another church and the pastor said this? We've got a short video. Pastor Vicki, did Jesus die for our sins? That is a line that the church has used for hundreds of years that does not really make sense to me. Jesus died because Jesus challenged the status quo and the leaders of the church at the time and the leaders of the Roman Empire were not happy with his challenges to love one another, to treat all fairly and to welcome the most marginalized in the community. That is why Jesus died. He was killed by those who feared him. Now that may seem pretty obvious to you, but remember this woman calls herself a pastor. That is, people in her community go to her seeking advice about God's word and how to get to heaven. 
in the name of Christianity, believe it or not. There are people that are, quote, learning about God under her watch. Now, let me try a more subtle one. I had lots of videos, but I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. There was just too many good ones. I'll read a quote. This is from a church nearby, literally. Regeneration is the work of God in which he gives new spiritual life to the elect who, are, who were dead in sin, and thus they repent and receive faith in Jesus and the salvation given by grace through the cross. Sounds good? That was with you all looking for it, mind you. I give you a warning. How would you fare against a statement like that in a 30-minute-plus sermon if you weren't actively looking for the heresy or the false statement? You say, oh, that sounded pretty scriptural. Right. Well, you missed the word, perhaps, elect. I'll read the rest of the statement. We believe that God acted before creation in choosing some people to be saved. Simply, in his good pleasure and by his sovereign choice, those who have been appointed for salvation will respond. We believe others will go to hell. That is what the term elect means. Now, yes, I cherry-picked a subtle one. This is just down the road from us. The question is, how on earth are we going to determine what is truth and what is false if we do not read the Word of God and take up the sword of the Spirit daily for ourselves? Church, you cannot trust any pastor behind the pulpit. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Don't trust me. Be like the Bereans and search daily to see whether those things are so. I want to say that I'm going to always teach the truth, but you know what? I'm fallible. I'm man. I make mistakes. We're in the end times. We're drawing near every single day. We're getting one day closer. We need to, for ourselves, know what the Word of God says so you can determine whether or not a pastor is teaching truth. We need to put on the whole armor of God. Let's do one more with our imagination hats. You're driving, you're on your way home, you see somebody who's trying, trying to climb over the barrier of a bridge. You pull over, you start approaching them, and something inside your spirit tells you that that person really doesn't want to jump. What do you do? What do you say? Oh, beloved, I sure hope you've shod your feet with a gospel of peace. Because only Jesus can bring peace to those that are hurt and dying. Only Jesus can bring that peace that we all need to encourage us. Let me ask you, are you ready to give an account? We're going to get this at the, in the coming weeks, but understand that the gospel of peace is complete peace. It's a, test, it's a verse come from the Old Testament, which is shalom. It is spiritual peace. It's emotional peace. It's peace which brings health and wholeness and prosperity. And I sure hope that you aren't 66% clad today. I sure hope you aren't aiming for a D, a passing grade just to get by. Because what if? What if you come into contact with somebody who needs that peace today? What if you might be in that place? Have you put on your panoplia? Have you put on your full armor of God and taken up all six pieces so that you are prepared for the spiritual battle ahead? Now notice here that it's God's armor. Put on the full armor of who? It's not Roman armor. 
Whether or not Paul got his inspiration from the Roman soldiers while he was in prison does not matter to me. I want you to note that it is God's armor, his spiritual pieces of protection. These principles come from God long before the Roman legionary was ever equipped with a piece of iron. See, the salvation is not a Roman invention. The Spirit is not attainable outside of Christ. Scripture has and will always be the true source of truth. The Romans didn't discover faith. Peace didn't originate with them. Only God the Father is righteous. It is His armor. Now, we might use a, an earthly analogy to help us understand godly principles, but understand Paul did not hunt around for this. These are principles he wants us to be equipped with long before there was ever a Roman soldier walking on earth. Secondly, notice, and it is God's armor. It is not your armor. Why would you try to go into battle with a dull pocket knife when he's got a double-edged sword? Why do we neglect God's helmet that he's prepared for us, that advanced combat helmet? It's got night vision and optics. Kind of like some, never mind. <laughs> Don't get political, Pastor. See? You know, God's got this advanced helmet for us. And here we are, sometimes we put on these little leather helmets. I don't know how many of you have ever seen pictures or video of the early days of American football. Woo! Don't worry about it, brother. We got just what you need. We're just going to wrap a little leather around your head and you'll be fine. Go on out there and tackle them. Truthfully, that's how they were, that's the protection they used back in the day. Wrap some leather on it. You'll be fine. God's got a helmet for us, a helmet of salvation. Oh, and it's good. It's perfect. You know, we're trying to fight out here in flip-flops, and he's got combat boots for us. And yet, we're, think about this, we're trying to fight a fallen angel in our own strength. Not our armor, God's armor. I'll remind you, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, one angel of God took out 185, 1,000 Assyrians in one night. And here we are, we think we can walk up to the devil in our own strength and power and fight him. Reality check. Sometimes we lose sight of it. Sure, you're in Christ and the devil has no authority over you. In Christ. But that doesn't mean that you are to walk in the flesh and fight demons in your own strength. Put on the full armor of God. Turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 14, if you would. I'll remind you of a little account here. It says, seven sons of one Sceva. You remember the account? It's a good one. A Jewish chief priest, that's Sceva, were doing this, trying to cast out demons, all right? That's the previous verse. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul. Talk about the authority of Paul. I love that. But who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom, the man, one man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them. Seven of them. And watch what happens. Subdued them all 
and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Listen, if you are going to try to fight spiritual battles in your own flesh, you're going to lose. Seven grown men attempted to exercise one demon and left the house naked. Guess what? Fear came over the church, I'll say. Oh, Lord, if we could be reminded of the reality and truth of these scriptures, I wonder if the church today might be living and acting a little different. Hmm. God's armor. It's not your armor. Put it on. If you're going to be engaged in spiritual warfare, you are going to need his spiritual armor. I reckon you know the next verse in Ephesians, our struggle isn't earthly. We're going to need his heavenly armor, right? It's against principalities and powers, and we'll save that for another week. But if it's a spiritual battle, why are we trying to do it with earthly armor? We need spiritual armor, God's armor. Be clothed, not in your own strength, but by the provision of him. Now this term, full armor, panoplia, Anywhere, anyone know where else we might see it in Scripture? I wouldn't have known either, so I'm just going to put you on the spot, see if there's anyone who gets a good guess. Luke chapter 11, let's turn there. Luke 11, this word, panoplia, remember, it is complete hoplite. It's the full armor of a hoplite. Every piece that God has provided for warfare, that's what it means. It is used twice in Ephesians chapter 6, and it is used one time in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read starting at verse 14. And he, this is Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So there's this argument that's going on now. Jesus casts out a demon. The crowds are a little freaked out. They're saying, wait a second, he's doing that by the devil. Others, to test him, were demanding a sign from heaven, but he knew their thoughts and said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided itself fails. Jesus is combating that argument and saying, wait, if I'm working for the devil, then really the devil's house is already destroyed. That's what he's saying to them. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub? And if Beelzebub has cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, let's read our verses here. Verse 21. That's the context. Jesus still teaching. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. When the strong man, the, not a, the, who's the strong man? That's the devil. There's, there's the strong man, okay, in this analogy. Hang with me. I'm going to put this into proper literal translation. When the strong man, according to the tools of warfare, that's what it means to be completely armed or fully armed, according to the tools of warfare, guards his own courtyard. It's actually a picture of him standing outside the house. There's a house and there's gates outside of that. This strong man is guarding his inner palace, all of his possessions. 
He's out in the courtyard guarding it. All of his goods and his possessions are in peace. It's Arane. When the strong man who has all the tools of warfare is guarding in his courtyard, everything that he owns is at peace. Verse 22. But when the stronger than he, who's that? That's Jesus. Having come upon the strong man, which is verse 21, the guy we just described guarding it in the courthouse. When the stronger one, Jesus, having come upon him. You, this, this word is really a powerful word. You might think of Luke chapter 1, 35, and, and Mary says, well, how can this be? How can I have a child? She says, the Holy, God says, the Holy Spirit, or the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is the same word that's being used here. We also see in Acts chapter 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the same word that's being used. Jesus is coming upon that strong man. There's a supernatural peace and component here. It's not just someone walking in the door saying, I'm here. In the same way that the Holy Spirit came over Mary to impregnate her, in the same way that the Holy Spirit would come upon those in the upper room, Jesus is going into the courtyard and coming upon the strong man Watch this. And when he overcomes him, that's actually the word overcomes, or attacks him, he takes away his full armor, panoplia, in which he had trusted and distributes his pelt, or the skin of a beast. I love that picture. That's the word there. His spoils or goods or possessions is actually the skin of a beast. Just imagine Satan getting skinned by Jesus Christ. Say, hey, I got proof that I slew the dragon. That's the picture I got in my head. Again, such a rich text. I don't want to get too bogged down, but in case I lost you there, let me break it down. Jesus, speaking of the devil, who is fully armed, is to be stripped of all his armor when Jesus attacks and defeats him. Get you thinking, right? Wait a second, the devil has armor? No, in fact, Jesus says that he has full armor. One word, panoplia. What might his armor be? Now, I don't believe it's of righteousness and salvation. None of those things. Perhaps you can just put your imagination cap back on and we'll, uh, we can imagine some things that it might be. Temptation, captivation, captivation, accusation, condemnation, obfuscation, separation. Does it make you want to put your armor on though, thinking that the devil at one point had armor? Now, the stronger man, Jesus, went in and stripped him. He's got no armor now. Somehow he acquired it, whatever that be. Oh, church, that strong man has no more protection. Colossians 2.15 says, When Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And yet the church, on the other side, walks around with her head in the sand waiting for Satan to be defeated again before we can go into battle. Understand that that strong man has been stripped of his panoplia. It is our time to take up our sword of the Spirit, put on the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth, and having shod our feet in the gospel of peace and putting on the helmet of salvation and taking up our shield of faith that we can go out into battle and start tearing down the kingdom of the strong man. Guess what? He's been skinned. Satan may have had armor, but Jesus has already removed it. Does anyone know Luke 10, 19? 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over some of the power, all the power of the enemy. Church, Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. As long as you've put on the full armor of God. Someone's paying attention. Oh, devil, I've got news for you. Church is coming to plunder your stronghold. Just in case you forgot, I want to remind you that Christ Jesus has already stripped you naked. You done did goof, devil, when you crucified the Lord of glory. Guess what? His bride ain't happy either. She's starting to wake up. She's coming with her bridal gown and her combat boots. She might just go all bridezilla on you, trying to ruin her wedding plans. See, the temptation of Satan was removed by the words, it is written. Satan, his obfuscation, he puts blinders on the world. They're removed by the light of the world, Jesus Christ. There's captivation, which can be seen when Satan led the crowds to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. It was only, what, five days after they had crowned him their king, right? How did they turn their backs so quickly on him? Captivation of the enemy. Hmm. But according to God's wisdom, none of the princes of this world knew, for had they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Accusation. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Oh, but God, that temple was rebuilt. Jesus did save himself. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Condemnation. That condemnation was removed that day that we were joined in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Separation, we could also call this death. But death was swallowed up in victory as Christ became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. He did rise again. Oh, church, his armor has been taken. He has no power over you as long as you are wearing the full armor of God. Why do you need the full armor of God? Well, let's, if you look at the scripture again, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why do we need the full armor? So that we can be immovable in opposition. We're going to talk about this next week. It's the wearing of the full armor of God that enables us to stand firm. How do we stand firm? Put on that full armor of God. Listen, it's been stripped away from the devil, but he still rules the earth. He's got no authority, but he's still powerful. The only way that we can fight a spiritual battle against the enemy is to put on our spiritual armor. It's time that the church would rise up We take each piece and remember that each of them is important in this battle ahead. You're not going to do any good if you only got four or five pieces. You're not going to do especially any good if you only got one or two. It's just as important to pick up your sword as it is to pick up that shield of faith and put on that breastplate of righteousness. And I'll remind you that the devil is loose and out on the offensive. He's the devourer seeking someone to devour. And it's he which dictates the fight, which may work for one person 
on one day, it may not work for you against him, you've got a specific set of armor that God's going to give you for each specific set of circumstances. And, and only, the only way you're going to stand against his various attacks, we're going to get to this, his scheming, he's going to come at you from different angles, is to be equipped with all six pieces. You say, oh, well, so-and-so, they just pick up their shield of faith and they get to walk to church. Okay, but, but you might have to pick up your sword or you might have to have your gospel of peace on your feet to be able to do it. Okay? He's got different things at different work, different strategies. And this is where both having the Holy Spirit and the full armor of God is absolutely essential because we don't know how and when he's going to attack us next. We must take up the full armor of God and we must keep it as on as long as we are on the earth.